Well, good morning, Temple family. For those uh, who are here, it's great to see your puzzled faces. And uh, those online who wonder whether they should exit because this is not who they expected to see, I don't look like Pastor Terry. Um, well, Pastor Terry is enjoying his second Thanksgiving uh, near St. Louis, Missouri today with all his family. And I have no doubt that Terry and Doreen are uh, enjoying and being lots of uh, refreshed with lots of turkey and all the trimmings. And, but most of all, we are trusting that their souls are being, uh, getting some refreshment and restoration. Soul refreshment and restoration are very important for all of us. We all need that, especially for this next busy month that's coming. The Lord restores our souls. It tells us that in Psalm 23. The Lord restores our soul. So how's your soul doing? Is the Lord restoring it? Are you really sensing the joy of the Lord, that deep-seated sense of well-being in your life? In the world today, there's a form of violence that is happening to our souls. So many activities, overworking, pressures of life, rushing around, committing ourselves to too many things, conflicting demands on our time, wanting to help and do for others, our families, our job, our church, the entertainment and social media we squeeze in thinking it refreshes and relaxes us. But really, all this combined is doing violence to our souls. I know this because I lived it for many years as a Christian. I did what I thought were these admirable and worthwhile things and was encouraged and praised for doing them by the culture we live in. I came to a stark realization. My loving and doing for others, my family, my clients, my church, and even Jesus himself, was taking a toll and actually was causing violence to my soul. I kept calling to mind what I always called my favorite verse from Mark chapter 8. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? I had given my life to Jesus and doing what I thought and what I was encouraged to do as a Christian. However, the pressures of the world and the choices we can so easily make with the free will that God gives us were actually causing me to exchange the profit of peace, satisfaction, and joy in my soul for something God never intended for me, nor does he intend it for your life. Jesus expressed his concern about this to the disciples and ourselves as Christ followers in the Bible passage we're going to read today. 
He was soon going to leave them. And in this farewell discourse, Jesus left us with what I consider the most important I am statement for those that consider themselves Christ's followers. Jesus was preparing the disciples for a major transition. The setting was the upper room. He had just finished washing their feet. Judas had already left to betray him. And Jesus was speaking to the 11 remaining disciples who had been with him for three years already. Jesus said, rise, let us be on our way. They were probably heading to the temple or walking by it because in front of the temple, there was a carving that had a vine and grapes on it. So as they passed it, Jesus no doubt directed their attention to that when he gave us the most powerful picture of who he was. Would you please stand with me as we read our passage today? We're reading from John chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. Such branches are gathered, thrown to the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Heavenly Father, as we come to you today, please, please, Father, keep me out of the way. Lord, I pray we would only hear from you today that you would guide and direct our thoughts. And Lord, whatever your word is sent to us to do, to encourage us, to challenge us, to convict us, Lord, I pray that you'd have your way in our souls and we would just thank you for this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. When Jesus said he was the true vine, he was referencing Isaiah chapter 5. And that's where Israel was pictured as the vine God had planted. Theologian N.T. Wright, I thought, summed it really well. He said, Jesus came to do and be things which the children of Israel were failing to do and be. He came to be God's perfection, the Messiah, and fulfill Israel's calling. 
Jesus was making it very clear in verse 1 of our passage today that he is the true vine, and God the Father was the vine dresser or the vine grower. So God owns the vineyard, and he is in charge, and he wants as much fruit as possible from the branches which, in verse 5 of our passage, are clearly us. We are to bear fruit for the owner. Sometimes we get thinking we are the owners of our vineyard. It's my vineyard. I'm living in it. It's my job. It's my family. It's my house. It's my time. It's all mine. I'm in control. Jesus makes it really clear we are the branches, and the branches are certainly not going to tell the owner of the vineyard what to do. Jesus also tells us what God is doing in the vineyard. In this passage, he removes, he prunes, he gathers, he throws, and he burns. What then does Jesus say we as the branches, the Christ followers, are doing? And he is talking to Christ followers. Verse 3 says, You have already been cleansed by the word I have spoken to you. Just in the case the disciples or us are missing what we are supposed to do as branches, Jesus repeats 11 times what we are to do. We are to abide. And not only to abide, but to abide in him. Verse 4 says, abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch can't bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So what does it mean to abide? Well, it means to remain to stay, to continue, to dwell in a fixed or stable way. Today, since we're using kind of the gardening theme, having deep roots in him or simply drawing our life from him. Abiding in God is not the same as obeying God. Obeying God is important. But that can be done without you having any real deep relationship with God. You can obey God out of fear, or you can obey God because someone told you to. Abiding in God is relationship of knowledge and trust, lingering with God in such a way that allows God to shape you by his goodness and truth that results in love, peace, rest, and the fullness of joy that Jesus speaks about in the last verse of our passage. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Now, I am not a gardener. My wife, Nancy, is. But this past summer, the Lord must have wanted me to understand what this passage really meant 
in real life. We had a wisteria vine that, um, with many interwoven branches and that, that was attached to our porch for over 20 years. And in those years, we might have had two years where we actually had it produce any blossoms of any significance. Well, we decided to remove it. And that vine was so thick and the branches wound so tightly to the railings of our porch and as I wrestled and hacked at them, I thought I was gonna pull the porch railings right off the house. Now, even though those branches were attached so tightly to the vine to produce the fruit of blossoms, they were not deriving proper nourishment to produce the fruit of blossoms. Now, the branch can't disconnect and connect itself by itself. However, we as spiritual branches of Jesus, he tells us that we can choose not to abide and not be nourished when we do not abide. Verse 5 tells us, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. We can choose of our free will to not abide in the vine. Although we are still connected, but in doing this, we rob ourselves of the spiritual nourishment, transformation, and fruit bearing that God wants to see in our lives for his glory. Now, Jesus says we need to be abiding if we are to produce the fruit he's talking about. So what is this fruit that he's talking about? Well, Paul makes that really clear to us in Galatians chapter 5. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is the fruit that Jesus is talking about. It is the outward evidence of the inward reality of a heart that is abiding in Jesus. Let me say that again. It is the outward evidence of the inward reality of a heart that is abiding in Jesus. And this fruit is produced based on a relationship to the vine. This is not solely an awareness of the presence of God in our lives, but an interactive abiding relationship with God. Now, the first fruit is love. And we hear that word tossed around a lot. We say we love ice cream, we love to go for a walk in the park, we love a certain sport or a movie we watched. It's not being nice either. 
We have to measure love by Jesus' kind of love, by the kind of life he lived. Now, John 13, Jesus says to us, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The cross was the natural outcome of the life Jesus lived, his love for us. And you can't have that kind of love without abiding in Jesus. You have to keep company with Jesus. Abide in him so he can teach us how to love as he loved. Jesus said something so important for our life as Christ followers just before he got arrested. We find it in John 17. He says, that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He has given us the privilege and the responsibility to impact the areas he has placed us in, wherever we are placed in, in the world, in Sarnia, wherever we are, in the families where he's put us in. When we exhibit the fruit, the character of Christ, and people see and experience that fruit in us, they will recognize the God we profess that came to life in Jesus and is willing to live in them. Where it is difficult is where we have Christians who aren't Christ followers. That is where the problem is. That problem can be solved, however, but we can't solve it apart from Jesus. He makes that clear in verse 5 of our passage where he says, Those who abide with me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. The opposite is also true. If you do nothing, you are not abiding in Jesus. We say, oh, I don't do nothing. I do lots of things for God. But work for God that is not nourished by a deep interior life abiding with God will get tainted by other things like our ego, power, needing approval for, from others, buying into the wrong idea of success or our mistaken belief that we cannot fail. Our worth and validation as Christ followers will gradually shift from God's unconditional love for us into our own works and performance. As we say in Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, we cannot give what we do not possess. So this type of work is what Jesus tells us in verse 6 of our passage is thrown away and burned. We can get so focused on doing what Jesus says 
that we fail to become the kind of person Jesus wants us to become. Jesus explains this unconditional love we, he has for us in, in verse 9. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. It is this process of abiding in Jesus' love for us, we are able to do what Jesus did. Verse 10 says, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love just as I've kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. So if this abiding Jesus emphasizes 11 times just in this passage, if this abiding that Jesus emphasizes is critical to our journey as Christ followers, how do we practically do that? Well, I think the first thing we need to recognize the resource we already have. At the end of the book of Matthew, Jesus says this, I am with you always. That is the with God life. John, as he was getting older, in 1 John chapter 2, who, who had walked with Jesus, tells us clearly how we can abide in Jesus. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. We want to learn from Jesus how to walk and lead our lives if we were to lead our lives, if he was us. So what practices did Jesus do that we need to model in order to abide with him? The first one, I believe, is Jesus stopped. In Mark 10, Jesus stopped for the blind man. And Jesus stopped and said to him, said, call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take courage, arise, he's calling for you. Jesus stopped to call Zacchaeus down from the tree. Jesus stopped for the woman with the bleeding issue who touched the fringe of his cloak. Jesus stopped for the least of society. The most important thing we can do is stop in the busyness of our lives to be with Jesus himself, who we profess to be the savior of our souls. Jesus is present and waiting for us to truly stop and truly be present with him. If we cannot stop and be with Jesus, then the Holy Spirit is already prompting us that we are living beyond the gift of limits that God has for us. The second thing I see that Jesus practiced is solitude and silence. Mark 1 says, And in the early morning, while it was still dark, he arose and went out and departed to a lonely place and was praying there. This is just one example from Scripture of the many times Jesus went away by himself to be with the Father. Solitude is an important practice 
because it gives God's spirit the time and place to do the deep work in our souls. No one is there to judge us or interpret what we're saying, and God can bring us face to face with the hidden motives and compulsions of our lives. We are standing before God without all the paraphernalia and props and masks that we wear in our lives. It is a way to stay in touch with our true identity in God. And in that solitude, the practice of silence is critical. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. In Habakkuk, we read, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Now, if you have trouble with silence, it would be really important to practice it now. Because when you get to heaven, Revelation 8 tells us there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Silence is a practice of attending to God, listening and hearing God in private, in the quiet, without interruption, without noise. Now, if your best friend did all the talking and never listened to you, he wouldn't be much of a best friend. We tell our day camp kids, as we saw in the baptism today, we, uh, we tell, make Jesus your forever friend. Don't you think that we need to sit in silence and allow our forever friend to speak and prompt our soul? Jesus did this regularly, listening to the Father to ensure he was doing the perfect will of the Father. This should be no different for us. Jesus also abided with the Father in prayer. There are many types of prayers. Prayers of laments, listening prayers, uh, praying scripture. Uh, Jesus modeled prayer in many ways. In his darkest day, when he faced the cross, in Matthew 26, we're given this is what he said, keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is weak, or the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Prayer is the central avenue God uses to transform us. We don't if we don't want to change, then we will abandon prayer as something important in our lives, and we will not be abiding with Jesus. Sometimes we say we pray, but lots of times I think we use the dive-bombing approach. We drop it on God and then get out of there. James 4 says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend it on your pleasures. When we abide with Jesus, he can transform our pleasures, and we begin to think God's thoughts, to desire the things he desires, love the things he loves, and will the things he wills. 
Real prayer is something we learn by practice. The disciples had prayed all their lives, and they still asked Jesus in Luke 11, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus can teach us to pray as we abide and practice with him. Now, the last practice I have time to mention to you today that Jesus did was scripture reading and memorization. 2 Timothy 3 says, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. The Bible is where God reveals to us both our sin and our belovedness in him. Our desire for nourishment for our souls, for our strength, for our comfort and joy are all found in Scripture. Reading God's Word puts us in a place to abide with the God who speaks. God will speak and will guide us personally and intimately as we abide in Him through His Word. And Jesus also modeled the memorization of the word. Jesus clearly thought the scriptures were the ultimate authority in our life and the way to understand the heart and desires of God. He quoted by heart 24 books of the Old Testament as recorded in the New Testament. Psalm 119 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And Luke 24 tells us, and they remembered his words. Carrying the life-transforming words of God wherever we go or whatever situation we are in can shape us and help us to abide with Jesus. Now, Jesus modeled so many more practices as he abided in the Father's love. Fasting, compassion, there's just many things. But we've shared some important ones this morning. Now, Pastor Terry always gives us a practice for the week. And this week, may I suggest we practice the prayer of abiding. First of all, stop. Spend time focused on asking God to help you become a person who needs nothing but God and for him to help each of us abide with Jesus seeking nothing but him. If we seek to truly abide in Jesus, he will restore our souls Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. And as the last verse in our passage says today, Jesus leaves us with this. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Please pray with me. Help us, Jesus, now to live in the fullness of your love for us. Holy Spirit, continue to teach us how we can fully abide in this love and guidance in our lives. 
Oh, Lord, help us to stop, to truly be with you, Jesus, who we profess to be our shepherd. You're the true vine, and we get our every breath and nourishment for our lives only by your grace. Oh, Lord, help us to abide with you as you modeled abiding with your Father. Let our love for you be a witness to the world of love that you have for us and that you've placed us in, to others who have yet to trust you for their lives. Oh, Lord, let our lives bring glory to you, and we will thank you in the precious name of Jesus.